Good evening. My name is Michael. Turn to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. The book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. Uh, I just want to thank our youth leaders, Brother Jake and Miss Anna, and Brother Shane and Miss Rachel for uh, allowing me the opportunity, and of course, Pastor as well. Um, so, the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. The book of 2 Kings. Chapter 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by, by companies and had brought away, brought away captive a, uh, brought away captive out of Israel a, a, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God my lord were with the prophet? that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go to go and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment and he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying now when this letter is come unto thee behold I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy and it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said and said am I God to kill and to make alive and this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come, come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he surely come out to me and, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not, are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I just wanna ask your blessing on this message, Lord. Please 
get me out of the way and use me to speak to hearts. And I pray um, that you would bless the preaching to follow. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to multiple sources, leprosy is a long-term bacterial infection. It affects the nerves, respiratory tract, skin, and eyes. In Naaman's day, leprosy was considered a death sentence. We see in our first point in verses 11 and 12, God provides for our needs, not our wants. Let's look back at these verses. So in verse 11 and 12 here, but Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. See, Naaman, Naaman, expected, Naaman expected Elisha to do the washing. Um, but who would have gotten the glory? Elisha would have. And he might have done this possibly for him to say, guess you got healed by a prophet. Look at me. I'm so special. But see, Naaman was more concerned about his social status than his health status. Naaman was more concerned with what river he would dip in than he was about healing his, his leprosy. Look back at verses 13 and 14. Uh, and his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, my father, if the prophet had bid thee to do something great, to, to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Naaman was then humbled back into reality by his servant. And I believe he realizes my self-esteem is not important. My healing is more important. So then he goes down to the Jordan River. Look at verse 14. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. In this verse, we find our second point, that God provides his way on his time. Could God, through Elisha, have healed Naaman? Yes, absolutely. But, but Elisha would have gotten the glory. And Naaman would not have seen God's power. Elisha was content with being a vessel and step back and let God and his power do the work. Here we see our second point. God provides when we do not deserve it. 
Let's look back at verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she wanted, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Had not God given deliverance to Syria, Naaman might not have been healed. And so I just find that interesting that God works things out for a purpose. And although we may not see that purpose right away, um, it's important to just trust God knowing that he knows best. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called, who are the called according to his purpose. Finally, we see in our last point, God provides for a, a purpose. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all, in all the earth, but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So you see, through all this, God healed, God healed Naaman. And what I t take from this is God could use a really, really interesting circumstance to show his power. So at this time, I would like to invite Jimmy to come up and preach. Resolved that these United States are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British Crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is, and ought to be, totally dissolved. These words were spoken on the date of July 2nd, 1776, signifying the beginning of a glorious new nation which we all call home and know as America. America started out as a great nation founded on godly principles, but you and I both know that it hasn't ended up that way. And I'm going to, here to tell you tonight that America is in trouble unless something changes. And I'm going to tell you what the problem is. The problem is that we don't know what our hope is in. And that Christians, Christians who have placed their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, have looked to other things to provide them maybe happiness or different things in this life. But tonight, I'm going to tell you what the hope of America is. And that's what I've entitled my message, The Hope. Of America. Turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 31, verse number 24. Job chapter 31, verse number 24. You there? I hope so. If I have made gold my hope, or if I have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence. If I rejoiced because my wealth was great, and because mine hand had gotten much. If I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart hath been secretly enticed, or my mouth hath kissed my hand. This were also an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity you've given me to come before you tonight. And Lord, 
preach the word to these people, Lord. I just pray that this words, these words that I speak, Lord, would not be my words, but yours, and then would go out to speak to people's hearts and lives. I pray for those here saved, that are unsaved tonight, Lord, that you would just save them all tonight, Lord, that they would feel your conviction, Lord, and that if not, maybe you would just plant a seed, Lord. I just thank you for all you've done for us. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start off with my first point tonight, what our hope isn't. What our hope isn't. I'm going to tell you some different things that our hope isn't. Our hope isn't in idols, obviously other gods. Job even says this here. And when he talks about the sun shining or the mouth has kissed your hand, this refers to an ancient practice where they would kiss their hand and maybe throw a kiss up to the heavens, which was they worshiped the heavens, and obviously that was an idol. But our hope isn't in other gods. Our hope isn't in money. Job even says that. I didn't make gold my hope, and I didn't say to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. Our hope isn't in possessions we own. Our hope isn't in peace treaties that the world can come up with. Our hope isn't in a church. Listen, if your hope is in First Baptist Church, you've got a problem. Because one of these days, you're going to be here, and the church is going to be up here. And then your hope is going to be lost. You're going to have a problem right there. Your hope isn't in religion. We know this. Your hope isn't in yourself. You know that your hope's not in yourself or what you can do. You've tried and tried and tried, but you know you just can't pull it off. Your hope is not in yourself or anything you can do. So tonight, I'm going to look at my second point here. What is our hope? What our hope is? Psalm 33, verse number 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Psalms chapter 71, verse number 5 for thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. I'm going to talk to the unbeliever tonight. What do you have your hope in? You see, if you have your hope in yourself, you're going to be severely disappointed one of these days when you take your final breath. Your hope cannot be in anything other than Jesus Christ and His saving power. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Doesn't matter how you dice it up, how you try to take it apart. Jesus is the, your only hope. He is the only way to heaven. We see this in these verses from Psalms. God, Jesus Christ is our only hope. You know, I use this point this afternoon at the nursing home, this quote. It's been said that there are all roads lead to Rome. I say most roads lead to hell because there's only one road that leads to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. It talks about the hope of eternal life in Titus chapter 3, verse number 7. Do you have that hope? In your life right now, can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know where you're going when you die? I can tell you, you're going one of two places. You're going to heaven or you're going to hell. And depending on what your hope is in, that determines where you're going to spend eternity. If you have your hope in a church, in religion, if you have your hope in yourself, if you have your hope in your friends, if you have your hope in your family, if you just hope it turns out okay and you're just going to live life how you feel like it, you're going to be severely disappointed when you wake up in hell one morning. And that's the, that's the truth of it. I don't mean to make light of it or I don't mean to talk about it. I don't like to talk about it, but that's the truth. And I can't change it. You can't change it. But the truth is our sin has separated us from God to where we only have one hope, and that's in Jesus Christ. And if you choose to reject him, you choose to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. There's no other way of getting around it. I'm not going to butter it up. I'm not going to waste my time because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is your hope. If you're looking for hope in your life, something's missing. You can't quite feel it. I'm going to tell you what it is. You need Jesus in your life. That's what you need. But what about those believers here tonight? You know, I would obviously say that the large majority of us are Christians. 
What do you have your hope in that's not God tonight? You know, you've gotten saved and you know, you know that Jesus is the only way, but you started looking over here for your peace and your contentment. And you're looking to this person and you're relying on this. What's your hope in tonight? Why, why isn't it back in Jesus? I'm going to tell you, if you need to get back to God, there's a simple way to do that. If you need to get right with God and put your hope back in Him, listen to what the Bible says from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. You need to put your hope back in Jesus Christ tonight. Or one of these days you're going to be disappointed when that hope will fail you, and it will fail you. So I encourage you tonight, if you don't have your hope in something that's not Jesus Christ, if you have your hope in something that's not Jesus Christ, maybe you're lost, you need to put your hope in Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you how to do that. The Bible says that God gave His only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in Him, that's you and me. We can all put our hope in Jesus Christ, we can all go to heaven, but you have to make a choice, it's your choice. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. It's a promise. You're not going to perish if you put your hope and trust, your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ, but have everlasting life. That, that's, that's our hope right there. That's what we can hope on because God's word never changes. And the promises he's made to us never fail us. That's what we can put our hope in. And that's what you should put your hope in too. What do you have your hope in tonight besides Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity you've given me to come up here and share your word, Lord. I just pray that it has been encouragement to some people, Lord. I know, Lord, that it might be a struggle, Lord, for us to sometimes come up here and preach. But I just pray that you would allow a seed to be planted in the unbelievers' lives. And maybe today some would get saved, Lord. I thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord. I ask all these things according to your will and in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, my name's Landon, as obviously Levi told you. But <laughs> to start off, I'd like you guys to turn to Matthew chapter 26 and leave a bookmark there, and then also turn to Luke chapter 22. Now, I got seven minutes on the clock, so we're going to move fast. <laughs> so the sermon I'm bringing to you is called Let This Cup Pass From Me. Now, before we get into the scripture, uh, what we're about to read is Jesus uh, was with his disciples. He sat them down, and he went up a little farther to pray to God the Father. Um, and this is right before um, Judas is about to betray him, and then Jesus alternatively dies on the cross. But um, my first point, I have three points, is you must know and walk with God. Now, before you can know and walk with him or do any of these following steps, you must be saved. Now, the, everybody's brought a plan of salvation so far, so I'm not going to go too in-depth, but I'll, I'd like to give you two verses. Romans 3.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, we're going to look in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 40. And go to verse 44. And when he was at that place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in, in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, um, under that point, you must know and walk with God. Um, I'd like to bring up the point that how important God, prayer is to God. You notice how he's praying to God the Father, um, even though he's Jesus. He's in agony. He's praying. He's um, seeking comfort via prayer. Then my second point is you must surrender yourself to God. Um, now we're going to look at Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to start in verse 38. <clears throat> then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Now, if you notice here, Jesus is surrendering, surrendering himself. He says, let this cup pass from me. But then he also says, nevertheless, thy, not my will, but thine be done. Um, so many Christians are at the point where they know what God wants them to do. But they're, let this cup pass from me. Let, let it go away. I, I don't feel like this is what I can do. But we need to humble ourselves and realize that we need to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Um, if God stopped at that first part, um, let this cup pass from me, where would we be? We wouldn't have a way to see him in heaven or get to heaven. We would have no way of salvation. Um, now, if you notice, it's Jesus. You would think he could go through it. He's almighty. But he was also fleshly on the world. Um, if you notice in Matthew chapter 26, um, if you notice in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, he says, his soul was sorrowful even unto death. His sweat was as great drops of blood. He is in great agony. He's in pain. He's, he knows what's about to happen to him. So he's seeking comfort because he's scared. I would be too. I don't know how I'd feel. Um, but then my third point is you must act upon what God has commanded you to do. I've heard people say, they, I haven't heard God speak to me. Well, then you haven't read scripture enough. Because if you turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to start in verse 19. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He just gave you his plan for your life. He gave you what he wants you to do. He wants you to teach people. He wants you to preach. He wants you to go be a missionary. He wants you to support missions. I can name countless things, but you have to decide how you're going to serve him. But you can't tell me he doesn't have a will for your life. He has a will for your life even before you were born. Um, now, if you notice, Jesus didn't run and hide from the cross. Um, <clears throat> he did what God sent him to do. I've heard people say, well, of course he did. He's Jesus. Of course he didn't disobey God. That is true, but once again, he was f fleshly on this world. If you notice, he was in agony. He, um, but even though he went through the suffering, he obeyed God, no matter what the cost was. 
And my final point is, <clears throat> my final thing I wanted to bring to you, are you at the point where you're just saying, let this cup pass from me? Are you willing to say, nevertheless, my will, not my will, but thine be done? Now I'm going to have Isaiah come and preach. Not have enough caffeine to kill a cow. I'm ready to start. Um, so I've recently found out that I'm not indestructible. Um, so I did something really stupid, and I screwed up my shoulder. Because I'm weak. I'm human. I don't have the strength to um, defeat my own problems. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. The title of my uh, message is David's Strength Found in God. So I'm going to have you guys turn to 1 Samuel 17, uh, 34 through 37. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear, and took the lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered him out of the mouth, out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and the uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defined the enemies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord hath that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord will be with thee. David realized that his own strength was not adequate to defeat the bear and the lion. He realized that he, in and of himself, can't accomplish things. And he realized that God's strength is what ultimately gave him the ability to um, defeat the lion and the bear. Have you guys seen lion and bears? I don't think I could beat a lion and bear. Look at me. Uh, <laughs> I might be able to push them, but yeah, after that, I think it's done. Um, so my main point uh, is David recognized God's strength. The battles you face aren't yours to fight. We need to stop relying on our own strength as Christians and realize that God has the ultimate power and that we can't defeat anything on our own, our struggles, our sins, any Anything we, we have problems with, we can't deal with on our own. As Christians, we need, to follow, we need to allow God to work through us so we can defend the faith. Who is going to defend the faith nowadays? People don't even have a fair stance on what they believe. How are we supposed to stand for God when we don't stand for what his strength represents? Um, and then my main point, too, uh, I'm going to have you turn to 1 Samuel 17, 42 through 45. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained. Oh wait. And the Philistine looked about and saw David, and he disdained him, for he was a youth and of ruddy and of fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me and with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said unto David, Come, come unto me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls and of the air and the beasts of the field. He was mocking David. David knew that 
that he was going to be persecuted for what he believed. He was going to be persecuted for allowing God to work through him. Just like we're going to have persecution as Christians. People aren't going to like what we have to say because people want to believe what they want to believe and not have to worry about ever being wrong. Um, if we allow people to push us around and not follow what God, God has set out for us, um, then, then we are weak in nature because we can't rely on our own strength. Um, people are always going to have opinions about you, and people are always going to say things about you, and whether or not they believe that or if it's true, it doesn't matter as long as you are following God. People are always going to hate and, and persecute you. Just like God was persecuted, or Jesus was persecuted by, um, by his own people. David faced the Philistines despite his obvious disadvantage. He was small and weak, and he knew that he couldn't defeat them. Um, he also came to Saul and realized, he's like, he said, I'm your servant. He wasn't any authority, and he didn't have any power, and he realized that. All right, we're going to turn to my main point three, uh, David's victory. 1 Samuel 17, 49 through 50. And David put his hand in the bag and took thence a thone and sl slang, slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and fell upon the face of the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took out his sword and drew it out of his sheath. Therefore and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. If we didn't think that uh, David was a teenager, I don't really know of uh, someone wanting to cut off a head and carry it around. That seems like a very teenage thing to do, in my opinion. Like if I killed a giant, I would want to be carrying around a head like, look guys, I killed the giant. Oh, wait, not my strength. We can find victory, like David, if we follow God and allow him to work through us. Uh, a good example of this is we, we try to face our issues head on, and we try to figure out our own problems. And as a, as a guy, um, we're prideful, and we try not to allow people to help us. But God also places people in our lives to help us, to, to, lead, to lead us. Um, he gives us godly examples like pastor or our youth leader or people in our church that have experience. We need to allow them to teach us. We need to be teachable. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. He had followed God from the very beginning, and eventually he was anointed king. He didn't know it at the time, and he was the servant of Saul. He... He said it. He said he was his servant. Um, we need to realize when we are wrong. We need to realize when it's time to give God our problems and issues because we can't defeat them on our own. God is at a pedestal. We can jump and try to reach the pedestal, but every time we fall short. Every time. David allowed God to work through him and gave glory to him. We need to allow God to use us. And we need to stop relying on ourselves to fight our battles. God will give us a victory to those who seek him and allow him to work through them. Thank you. I'm going to ask Brian to come up and preach.
right, if you would turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter number one. I don't know if it's me or what, but this thing ain't working, so I'm stuck with the pulpit mic. Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter one. Philippians 1, we're going to read verse number 6. Philippians 1, 6. But the Bible says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Before we begin the message, let's pray and ask God to bless it. Father, I do thank you for this day you've given us, Lord, and I thank you for just the ability you've given me and the privilege you've given me to um, preach your word, Lord. Help me to give exactly what you'd have me to give, and help me not to get in the way, but bless your word as it goes forth and help um, to land on fertile ground, Lord. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so what we see here in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6, we see one of the promises of God that is not often talked about as a promise of God. Um, and here we're seeing um, that God is promising that he will work in our lives, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Um, the question here is, what is that work that God wants to do in our lives? Um, if you look in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, you don't have to turn there. But Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate, to be, conformed to, the Im be, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, many people would try to take this verse and say that that means God chooses who gets saved and who doesn't get saved. That's not what this is saying. But um, what we do see here is what God's, the work that God's wanting us to do is he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, God wants to make us more like Jesus each and every day. Um, of course, just like every promise of God, God will not force this upon us. God gives us the choice, and God will let us make the decision whether or not we will do this. Um, so if we want to allow God to make us more like Jesus and to work in our lives, I'm going to talk about three things today we need to do in order for God to be able to, for um, God to work in our lives. Firstly, the first thing we need is we need salvation. In verse one, in chapter one, verse six, it says, "Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ." Before God can start the work in your life, He has to begin that work in your life, and that work begins at salvation. The plan of salvation has been mentioned multiple times, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But until we have accepted Christ as Savior, until we know Jesus, we can't be like Jesus. Actors in Hollywood have paid millions and millions of dollars to act out different characters, but they have to study that character, and they have to know what character they're acting out before they can do it effectively. And it's the same in our Christian lives. Um, we can say we want to be like Jesus, but until we know Jesus, we cannot be like him, and we cannot, um, we cannot do what he would have us to do. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I beg you and implore you to do that today. There is no better decision you could ever make in your life. And you cannot be like Jesus, and God cannot work in your life until you have um, accepted him, until you know him. Secondly, not only do we need salvation, but we need surrender. It's been said before that at salvation, God gives his life for us, and at surrender, we give our life back to God. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God says he wants us to offer ourselves a living sacrifice. If we want God to work in our lives, we have to allow him to do it. We have to surrender and give our lives to God if we want him to work in us and make us like Jesus. If you're having car trouble and you can, you can know what, what is wrong with it, you can, um, and you can know maybe like the mechanic to take it to to get it fixed, but until you take it to the mechanic, 
and give, it to, give your vehicle to the mechanic, he cannot fix it, and he cannot work and make that vehicle better until you give him, until you give it over to him. And it's the same way in our Christian lives. If we do not give our lives to God, if we do not surrender our lives to God, God is not going to be able to work in us because, um, he, again, he will not force us um, to be more like Jesus. We have to allow him to make us more like Jesus. Um, so let me ask you, are you surrendered today? Um, if you, maybe you haven't given your life to God or whatever it is. Maybe God's wanting something from your life. Surrender your life to God. Thirdly, not only do we need salvation and not only do we need surrender, but we need service. Service is putting into action what we say we're doing in surrender. It's one thing to say that you want to do whatever God wants you to do. It's another thing to actually do it. Jesus is a great example of this. Um, many times we see him saying that he will do whatever God wants him to do, but we also see him actually doing that and doing whatever God wants him to do. He did everything, that, he did everything God wanted him to do from washing the disciples' feet to dying on the cross for our sins. Um, he did whatever the Father asked him to do. God works in a great and powerful way when you serve him. I had the privilege this summer to go down and work at Hoosier Hills. It was some of the greatest working in my life that God did. I thought I was going down to help minister to others and to help others draw closer to God. And in reality, that was true, but even more so in some way, God worked in my life um, more than I ever thought he would from that. Until you step out and serve the Lord, he's not going to be able to make you more like Jesus. Jesus served in whatever way he could. And if we want to be like him, we're going to have to do the same thing. Uh, maybe you're asking, well, where do I serve? I guarantee you if you go and ask pastor, he will give you something that you can do here in the church. Um, Mark 16, 15 says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This was a commission God gave us many, many years ago, about 2,000 years ago. And we have still not, and if you can look in the world today, we still have not finished it. So there's still work that needs to be done for the Lord. So let me ask you today, here's the big question. Do you want to be like Jesus? If you do want to be like Jesus, then there are these three steps you need to take. If you do not want to be like Jesus, then none of this means anything. Um, but if, for those of you who do want to be like Jesus, first of all, the first thing we need as we've discussed is we need salvation. If you are not saved, I beg you and I implore you to do that today. And if you have questions about that or um, need help with that, just talk to pastor, brother Joel, or somebody who can take the word of God and show you how you can become a child of God. It is the greatest decision you will ever make and you will not regret it. Or maybe you need to surrender your life to God. Um, or maybe there's just something in your life that you need to give to the Lord that God says, hey, I don't want that there. I want that out. Um, maybe it's surrender that you need to do, or maybe it's service. Maybe you're not serving in a certain area. Um, just, I'm, again, as, as we've said, I know Pastor would love to show you where you can serve in the church. Um, jump in and serve the Lord wherever you can, um, and he will work in your life. If you do these three things, if you have salvation, surrender, and service, God will work in, in your life, and he will make you more, like, more and more like Jesus each and every day. Thank you. Now I'm going to ask Pastor to come up and give the invitation.